Welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Communications at Stiefel, joined as always by our Chief Washington Policy Strategist, Brian Gardner. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well, Neil. Recovering from uh, Masters weekend and the opening of baseball, and uh, all's good. Opening of baseball. The Mets, I have to point out, took three or four from the Nationals in your backyard. I understand it's only the first four games, but I'll take it. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Yankee fan, so I'm still trying to figure things out where we're where they're going for the season. It doesn't look great so far, but that, that's for probably for another podcast. Yes, well, the Yankees will have 19 plus games with Toronto, so that's going to be a hurdle, I think. Um, all right, well, let's 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 turn back to politics. Um, and obviously, Brian, we had a very few a, a very busy few weeks, sort of punctuated by the Supreme Court confirmation battle. That's over. I guess Congress is entitled to a spring break like everybody else. So uh, we have lawmakers out of session for a couple of weeks. Um, what do you think they tackle first when they get back? So, yeah, they, they'll, they'll come back uh, the last week of April um, from uh, the, the recess for the Easter and Passover uh, holidays. Um, and there, there are a couple of economic policy and trade policy issues. Um, I, I think one of the first things they, they try and address is the China competition bill. Um, so uh, both chambers have passed their own version of the bill. Uh, the House passed something in February, the Senate passed something last month. Um, a common thread in the bill, both bills, uh, are subsidies uh, to the semiconductor uh, industry to build uh, uh, fabrication facilities in the United States. There's also uh, different variations of changes with the trade rules with China. Uh, the Senate bill in particular um, goes into reestablishing some exemptions that had expired. So if you remember back during the Trump administration, the Trump administration imposed tariffs on China. There were a series of exemptions uh, to those tariffs. The exemptions have expired. The Senate bill reestablishes them and puts some new rules in on how tariffs are implemented. The House has a different version of that. And then a, an issue that, uh, that the banking industry follows, which is something called the Safe Banking Act. Uh, and that's how the banking industry allows the bank, would allow the banking industry to provide financial services to companies engaged in the cannabis industry or related to the cannabis industry. In those states where the substance has been legalized a bank could provide those services and not violate anti-money laundering laws. Uh, the, the House has that. The Senate doesn't. They have to reconcile that. I think it probably gets dropped. Uh, past efforts to pass safe have gone down this road before. So that's, um, that's, the, that's the China competition bill and some, some related or unrelated, mm -hmm. however you want to look at it, uh, topics that will be in that bill and, and up for debate in the coming weeks. Wow, it seems like a long time ago that we were talking about the Trump sanctions on China and the trade war. Then the news cycle moves very quickly. Yep, um, you know, and, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, or wrote about it. You know, when when uh, President Biden was elected, I thought changes in trade policy would be slow, I, and and I think we've seen that the the the, the tariffs are mostly in place. Uh, there haven't there wasn't a a big move to repeal them. And I, I think that's important to, to know and for investors to consider that there is a bipartisan agreement, a consensus. They may disagree on some particulars, but there's a bipartisan agreement on being tough on China. In fact, there's a competition 
of which party can look toughest mm-hmm. on China. So that that's something that kind of colors everything that's going to happen with trade talks, especially with China going forward. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the last time uh, on our last episode, Brian, you made the comment that nothing in Washington ever dies. So, and the news cycle keeps changing, but we're going to go back to an old topic, which is build back better. Um, is that really still alive? Yes. In, in, in some ways, yes. It's, you know, I, I guess life support is the best way, the best metaphor to use. It's not dead yet. And I think there's going to be one more push in, in May and June to pass it. Now, it's not going to be the same bill that the House debated back in 2021. That bill is dead. That, that bill is completely dead. And I think yeah. everybody agrees that that version is dead. But I think Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia wants to recraft a bill that would include some provisions on climate, a prescription drug uh, benefit, and taxes, uh, higher taxes. Uh, and so they're the outlines of, of what could be in a bill. Now, whether he and Senator Kristen Sinema, another centrist, are on the same page and whether they're on the same page with the rest of their Senate Democrats and whether progressives will agree to what Senator Manchin wants, especially on climate, which that could include actually more domestic production. I, I, I think all of that leads you to all those questions lead to the conclusion that the chances of passing something are quite low. However, it's still important because it sets the agenda for the rest of the issues that that the Senate and, and Congress are going to debate in the spring and the summer. You know, something like you know the Secure Act 2.0. Uh, Secure Act 2.0. Tell us a little bit what what is in that. So it is the second iteration of a retirement security law that was passed in 2019 and expands on that. And basically, it expands retirement options. Uh, savings plans uh, would be given uh, would have more flexibility. So it would expand the annuity option in retirement plans. Those are fairly limited right now. It would expand and allow for larger catch-up limits for older workers who maybe didn't contribute to their retirement plans early. You have a a catch-up limit now. It would actually raise the catch-up limit so it's even higher. It would delay the minimum mandatory withdrawal. Right Mm -hmm. now, you have to start taking withdrawals at a minimum level when you're 72. This would push it out to 75. So for people that are living longer and they want to delay having to tap into their retirement accounts or at least tap in at a lower level, the minimum distributions would be pushed out. And it also allows uh, small businesses to collaborate with each other to provide uh, retirement accounts to their employees. A lot of small businesses, they don't find it um, uh, economic, mm-hmm. uh, economically viable to offer retirement plans. They can't combine plans with other firms. This, this takes down some of those barriers and expands the opportunities for, for workers at, at smaller firms to get into uh, 401k and, and, and related type plans. Um, so if, if Build Back Better were to die, are there any parts of that legislation that somehow work their way into other bills? So, yeah, you know, I, I think investors should be paying attention to the tax portion of Build Back Better because there are elements in there that can reemerge in non-build back better vehicles. Uh, if, if you're watching the Sunday talk shows this weekend, uh, Larry Summers, 
former Treasury Secretary um, and uh, a Democrat, but who's someone who's been at odds with the Biden administration on economic policy. Um, he was actually pushing the, the global minimum tax proposal that was in Build Back Better. And this is something that the Treasury Department had negotiated uh, with uh, foreign countries um, uh, globally. It sets a, a minimum global tax um, that would be paid. Um, so Summers was highlighting that as really one of the great accomplishments and something that needs to be implemented because the rest of the world seems to be going along with it. And it actually puts corporations in a unique spot that if if the U.S. doesn't go forward, then some firms are, are facing higher tax bills abroad because of that. So you actually may want to have that provision passed here in the United States to give some certainty, some clarity to international tax laws. Not all corporations are going to be on the same page as that, but it's an interesting dynamic for, for companies with, with international uh, uh, operations. Um, so that, that's something to watch out for. And then at the end of the year, there's always this thing that Washington calls the tax extenders bill. You know, it's, a, it's a bill that, in, that does exactly what it says. It extends parts of the tax code. There are parts of the tax code that expire every year. And every year, Congress renews them for another year. And I'm sure there are people out there scratching their heads wondering, what the heck is this about? Why are they doing this? And it's a budget gimmick. That, that's what it comes down to. By only doing these one year at a time, you don't have to, th these, are, these are not revenue raisers, they are tax credits uh, and deductions. And so they lose revenue for the federal government. And so you don't have to account for them in a 10 year budget cycle if they only are year by year. So it's total budget gimmickry, um, but it happens every year. So the global minimum tax, that could, that could be part of a tax extenders bill. Uh, there are changes coming out of the Trump tax law that it, that actually are occurring this year that maybe it's not in the tax extenders bill, but I'm looking for other vehicles as well. One is changes in the R&D uh, uh, deduction. This year, it goes from a deduction to amortization. And so the tech industry, pharma, they're pushing to at least delay, if not totally repeal that change in the tax law. So that, that's something that's, that's on the table. And also the, the way that businesses calculate the, the business net interest deduction, it, it's capped at 30% of a formula. And this year, the formula changed from EBITDA to EBIT. And so there's another, there's another angle here. Um, does, does, the, does, the tax, uh, does the tax extenders bill delay that or repeal that? You know, finally, I, I would just say, you know, investors should be looking out at a stock buyback tax, which was mm. part of one of the versions of Build Back Better. All these things that I just discussed, changing R&D, changing business interest deduction, um, they all lose revenue. So budgeters in Congress, to the extent they're looking to raise revenue, are going to look for at a stock buyback tax. And I, I, I think that has some legs. And it may not be a big deal today because the, at least in the, the iteration that was in Build Back Better, it was 1%. And very few people are going to raise their eyebrows at 1%. But once it's in the tax code down the road, when there's a tax bill and Congress is looking for more money, all of a sudden it's already there and all I have to do is change the dial. All you have to do is change the rate to get more money. So th those, are, those are some of the 
the, the big tax issues that I'm looking at for um, probably for year end, but they could pop up sooner than that. Yeah. Well, you know, another issue besides taxes is inflation. Uh, we just got the latest read on uh, March inflation. The CPI was like eight and a half percent, basically a 40 year high. We have the president saying that he's going to allow sales of higher ethanol gas this summer. I mean, is there anything in reality, Brian, that either Biden or Congress, for that matter, can do to bring down energy prices and the broader inflation issue? So in the short term, the answer is no, uh, because whatever they so there are, there are two comp- parts of your, your question, because one is the administration, one is Congress. So Congress, the, the answer is no. Whatever they do, whatever changes they make in policy have a lag time, whether it, it's if it's on the production side, permitting, making it easier to, uh, to get permits to build facilities in the United States, that, that still takes time. And so that, that is not going to impact in the short term uh, the price of energy. The administration has limits. You know, we've seen a couple of moves they've done, the latest being the, the change in uh, allowing for the higher level of ethanol in gas for the summer. But the, you know, the, that has offsets at the same time. It's a question of how effective this is going to be because you're raising, it, it, it could raise the price of corn at a time when Ukraine uh, is not going to be producing uh, agricultural products this year. Uh, including wheat and corn. And so that's off the table. So you're, you're in, in some ways, it's giving with one hand and taking from the other yeah. on, on the gas issue. So uh, you could see higher prices for food, um, even though this this could uh, this latest move could impact energy. So uh, and then the other is uh, uh, the environmentalists might not be too happy about um, uh, higher ethanol uh, also has a higher concentration of pollution. Uh, which uh, that, that's a that's a separate political issue, not not exactly on point to what you asked. But I, I, I really think there are very limited steps uh, the administration can take uh, in the short term. It, it's a longer term phenomenon that they actually can take steps. But I don't know that, that there's the political will to do what needs to be done to lower energy prices longer term. Well, I mean, I think there was a survey out just this just this week from uh, small business owners that now say inflation is their number one problem, uh, more so than labor shortages, more so than supply chain issues. Um, inflation now is identified as their number one uh, problem. So it seems like we, you know, the, he's going to the president's going to be under a lot of pressure to do to do more, I think. Uh, it, the pressure is clearly there. It's going to intensify. Um but similar to the economic outcomes, what, what is the political outcome? And I don't think there's a lot he can do at this point to change the political outcome. We're now in, you know, well into the year, we're in April, people's views about the economy are being built in for the fall elections. They're not going to change that much. Um, and so this, whatever he does politically, I think is going to have very limited impact on uh, Democrats' ability to hold down their their losses in the House. Uh, certainly, I, I think it's going to get big Republican numbers probably coming for the House. We can probably get into this a little deeper on another podcast, but yep. the Senate, I'm, I'm still not quite there. Um, uh, I think the Senate is just more complicated we, for various reasons. We don't know who the candidates are in various key races yet. Um, but the, 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 the overall takeaway is that 
with, with these kind of numbers at this point of, of the year, um, people are not going to be changing their minds down the road on the state of the economy. And that, that's just bad news for, for the administration, bad news for Democrats. Yeah, we definitely have to get into the, uh, the midterms on one of the next podcasts. We could talk about the Senate, Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz gaining ground in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are probably six or seven, maybe eight key Senate races that uh, that we'll wind up talking about. Um, and the Pennsylvania race that you just alluded to, that's that's one of the key races uh, that that's going to determine uh, the outcome uh, of the, uh, the control of the Senate. And uh, it, it, in uh, it's, it's a key year for Democrats. They have to hold down their losses because the map doesn't get better for them mm-hmm. in the next couple of years. You know, we've discussed before how the reason why I'm not as convinced that the Senate's going the same way as the House is that it's only a third of the Senate up and just historical reasons where those seats are in this cycle. It's not that it's not terrible for Democrats. Well, that changes in 2024. In 2024, uh, there are Democrats have more seats to defend. They're in more Republican-friendly areas, and so if they if they don't hold down their losses this time, they could potentially be looking at um, pretty severe minorities uh, yeah. going forward after 2024. Right, and of course, 2024 is a presidential election year, which exactly. always changes the dynamics of yep. the other races too. So exactly. All right. Well, Brian, I think we're out of time for this week. Always interesting. Um, Great talking to you. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to catching up on our next podcast. Sounds good. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Potomac Perspective.